Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange, and I'm thankful that you've chosen to join us this morning. I invite you now to turn with me in your bulletin that we might pray together the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Oh God, your word is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than purest honey. As we turn to your scripture, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace so that the good news of your love would shine before our eyes and delight our senses so that we cannot help but respond with wonder, faith, trust, and action. Amen. This morning we have two scripture lessons, and I invite you to turn with me in your own Bible or in the pew Bible found there in front of you. The first passage of scripture comes to us from the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Hear now these words. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Again, Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. Hear now these words. When they were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nations will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, famine and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. 
you will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning, Pastor Sarah is not with us because Pastor Sarah, along with some of our youth, have been a part of Pilgrimage, which is a conference youth event that this year has taken place in Rocky Mount. They've joined together with about 2,000 youth from across North Carolina to be able to just worship and praise God. And so we give thanks, and I look forward to hearing from Pastor Sarah the report of all the things that took place this past weekend. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, as we come together in this place today, as your Holy Spirit makes us one, may you truly shape us and form us into the disciples who were sent forth to transform the world. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you change the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. As we are in this series about living church, it's about the ways that we as the body of Christ come together and faithfully live out in response to the love of Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, I was speaking about radical hospitality. And I mentioned three questions that I believe that every person that's a part of the body of Christ needs to be readily able to answer. These three questions are modified from a book that Reverend Adam Hamilton wrote almost 20 years ago. And these three questions are important for us to be able to answer and to know the meaning of these so that we can live into being the church that God has called us to be. Those three questions, if you can see the screen, are, why do people need Jesus? Why do people need the church? And then to bring it home a little more specifically, why do people need Orange United Methodist Church? So why do people need Jesus? Why do people need the church? And why do people need Orange United Methodist Church? Well, first of all, I believe that people need Jesus because it is through his teachings, his life, and through the signs and wonders that we truly come to understand who God is. It's through Jesus who paid a price for us that we ourselves would never be able to pay. We need Jesus so that we can be reconciled to God. He is the answer to all that our hearts long for. We strive for meaning. We strive for purpose. And we find meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. So I believe wholeheartedly that we all, all people, need Jesus. But I also believe that people do need the church. I think the church is essential because as the body gathers, we become the embodiment of the body of Christ in the world today. And friends, I don't know if I have to tell you this or not, but the world's in a hard place. Things are so difficult all around us. We need to be the body of Christ that brings a presence of God in the world today. I believe we need the church because we are all heartbroken and downtrodden. And the church is there to help shape us and form us and pick us back up. 
Think about it. Think about the ways that you have experienced someone coming alongside you in the hardest moments of your life. I think we need the church because in the church, we're able to see how we can do more together. But I think it's important that we make sure that we also know the answer to the third question. Why do we need Orange United Methodist Church? Why is this church essential to this community? Well, I think we've been trying to talk about it the past few weeks. I know for me personally, where Orange United Methodist Church is making such an impact on my life is through the way that we offer passionate worship and get to experience that passionate worship. You know, I had no idea that hymn that we sang, that first hymn this morning. I've never heard that one. Anybody know that hymn? No. I'm not saying that in a bad way. We come and we get to learn something new. When I saw that it was written by John and by Charles Wesley, I thought, well, here's a Wesley hymn that I had not known. We get to experience that. Now, I might have passionately been listening to Pastor Corey as she sung it. And I... But we get to experience this passionate worship. We get to learn new things, experience new things together. I mean, just sometimes I don't want to sing when we have the hymns because I enjoy hearing all the voices of the others around me. That passionate worship that we experience through song, that passionate worship that we experience through prayer. When we list those names that are in the bulletin, I find each one of those names to be upon my heart. And it reminds me to be lifting them up, not just in prayer, but also through the ways that we interact with one another. And I find passionate worship in being able to have the opportunity when I get to sit and to listen to either Pastor Sarah or Pastor Corey offer the message. You don't want to be sitting near me when they're preaching because I make noises when they preach. It's a sound sort of like, mm, mm. And I may try to do it quiet so I don't uh, uh, annoy anybody else in the building. But when I'm hearing them say something so profound, or they may even say something that steps all over my toes, I can't help but, mm, mm. You know, the fact that you allow that kind of noise, <laughs> I'm grateful for it. It's that passionate worship that we get to experience. And, and for me, my Sunday is so important to charge me up, to send me out into the world for the rest of the week. It's what we give to God in that worship that prepares me for everything else that's ahead. Uh, I give thanks. I need Orange United Methodist Church because it allows that space for that passionate worship. But also, I need Orange United Methodist Church because I'm able to witness radical hospitality. Every single person that enters through the doors of the, these buildings, I believe that they come to know that they are a beloved child of God. You welcomed me and my family in 2019, and I give thanks because from that moment of that first Sunday to now, I have felt ingrained and become a part of this church. That radical hospitality, the way that you have welcomed me, the way that you welcome all that come through these doors, that moves me. One of the ways, though, that I've witnessed radical hospitality is through reality ministries. Reality ministries needed a place in Chapel Hill where people of different abilities might be able to come together for a home group and to be able to be able to share that time together. And even through reality ministries, being able to have times for community worship. 
And a need was presented. Not only were we allowing, uh, partnering to let them use the space, but we learned that in our fellowship hall, when there would be a community worship time, the stage was not accessible for all people. And so our trustees heard, they heard that need, and we now have a ramp in the fellowship hall that leads up to that stage. That is radical hospitality. That is going the extra mile to make sure all people know that all people are welcome. All people are able to be a part of the body of Christ. That radical hospitality demonstrated in that ramp, it's just a simple ramp. It's got a little bit of carpet and a black rail, but it's beautiful to me because of what it says, that all people can find their home here. That's radical hospitality. And I believe here at Orange, I, am, I need Orange because it's here that I'm able to also experience intentional faith development. Every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock, I get on Zoom. Mike joins along and John. Uh, we get on Zoom because we're part of a Bible study that Rick Strunk leads called Band of Brothers. And we've got people not just from Orange, we've got people from the other part of the state. We have people that come together at 7 o'clock in the morning. And friends, I'm going to tell you, I did not think 7 o'clock in the morning would be a good time for me to have Bible study. There's a lot of other things that I could think I could be doing, particularly still hitting the snooze button. But instead, I find the purpose of coming together on that Zoom meeting to continue to be shaped and formed. It's a time that I get to participate. I don't have to lead. I don't have to teach. I get to be taught, to be shaped by these band of brothers. That's so important that we make the time to be intentional, to be faith-formed. I've participated in my Sunday school class, participated in small groups such as the ones that Pastor Corey is so good at leading. I give thanks. I need orange because even through, uh, through one of the small group studies that she led, I learned about the Enneagram. And I tell you, I wouldn't even know how to spell the Enneagram before that class. But by taking that class on the Enneagram, I was able to learn how God has shaped me and formed me and made me who I am and the way that I'm able to interact with others and to utilize those special ways that God put his fingerprints upon my life. I give thanks because it's through those intentional ways that we're shaped and formed that I'm able to truly become the disciple that I believe God is calling me to be. I think people need the church because of these things. I think people need this particular church because of these things. And today... I believe people need the church, this particular church because of risk-taking mission and service. Now, before we talk any further about that, I want us to take a look at the grand scheme, at the big picture of all of humanity. And to do that, we got to go back and think about the big picture of the Old Testament. When we consider the Old Testament, we see the people of God following a cycle over and over. And it's best lived out, easily understood, when we look at the book of Judges. The book of Judges has a cycle that involves the people of Israel, and we see it played out over and over again. It may be difficult to see upon the screen, but up there on the screen, it starts off with the people of Israel being faithful. People of Israel being faithful to God. They are giving witness to who they are and to who God is. But eventually, they fall into the sin, into sin and idolatry, worshiping other gods or not giving God the credit that God deserves. 
falling into sin leads them into a time of persecution, a time of hardship. It may say that Israel is enslaved, but it also is when Israel has fallen into sin and they begin to be oppressed and dealing with those difficult times. And so ultimately, they get to the point that they have to cry out to God for a deliverance. They cry out to God, they repent, and God raises up a judge or a deliverer, in other words, and that deliverer leads them back into prominence. And it finds them back at the top of the cycle once again. But what happens? History repeats itself. The people of God are obedient. People of God follow into sin and idolatry. They begin to deal with the hardships and the suffering and the oppression. They cry out to God to raise up a deliverer. God raises up. God hears their cry, raises up a deliverer who delivers the people of Israel. This cycle is played out over and over again. And the interesting thing is, it seems that every time that they fall into sin and they're crying out, they're trying to find a way that they might be able to appease God, how we might show our remorse. And we, they try to make a, a deal with God. I mean, we can relate to that, can't we? God, I promise if you get me out of this situation that I got myself into, I promise I will never do anything like that again. God, I promise I won't ever do that again. It reminds me of when I took my children to camp one of the first times. Our oldest son, Jacob, he was so excited. We dropped him off at camp, and Jacob's like, bye, Mom, bye, Dad, and he was off. He was gone. Not our youngest son. Our youngest son grabbed hold of our legs. He's crying. He's begging, please don't leave me. Please don't make me stay at camp. Please don't make me. I promise I'll be good. I promise I'll clean my room. I promise I'll eat all my vegetables. He was trying to make a bargain with us. He stayed at camp. He had a great time. But in that moment, he's trying to make that promise. Don't we do that? We do. I do that. Maybe you don't, but I know I've had those moments. Lord, if you will get me through this, I promise things are going to be different. I promise. I think that's a part of our human nature, and we see it lived out throughout the Old Testament. We see it throughout the book of Judges. We see it through other passages. I think about in the book of Joel, a name that literally means Yahweh is God in Hebrew. There's a severe drought and an invasion of locusts have laid the land barren. People are suffering. People are suffering, and the word has come that this drought and the locust is the result of the ways that they have fallen away from God, the ways that they have fallen into sin. And so the priest, the priest make a call. Let's see if we can try to appease God by calling for a fast and that they would offer a grain and drink offering. Isn't it interesting that while people are going hungry, the priest call for a fast and for a grain and drink offering to the Lord. But you know what God's reply to that is? God says, you know what? What I really want? Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. But then rend your hearts and not your clothing. God doesn't want just an action that, that means nothing. God wants the whole heart. Be turned back to him. In Isaiah, we see in chapter 58 where the people of God are crying out. They are crying out and they have been crying out and yet they feel that they have not been heard. Why have we fasted and you did not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you did not notice? But then God does reply. 
that the fast that he chooses is to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not hide yourself from your own kin. God is saying, what I want for you to pull your heart back to me is to see it lived out in the way that you interact with others. The way that you fight for the oppressed. The way that you work to make things right. And then that passage of scripture that I read today from Micah. Micah asking, what shall I bring to the Lord in this time of suffering and hardship? Shall I bow? Shall I come with burnt offerings of yearling calves? How about a thousands of rams? How about thousand riv- 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I even present my firstborn to pay for the punishment of my sin? God responds once again, it's not about that. What does the Lord require? That you do justice, that you love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Over and over again, God is calling upon his people to a life that it makes a difference in the lives of others. We keep trying to do it our way, but God keeps saying, this is the way that I'm calling you to. With all of this leads us up to someone that was born in Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago. Who was that? Jesus. You've heard of him too, right? Jesus, who came to be the embodiment. The embodiment of all that God kept telling the people of Israel. That they were not just to, to tear their clothes. They were not just to fast. They were not just to mourn. But they were to turn their hearts. And Jesus, who was going to model that and embody that for them. And Jesus did it in such a way it had to be scandalous. It had to be risky. Jesus would tell stories. And he would tell these stories in such a way that you can only imagine the reaction of the people hearing it for the very first time. I think about in Luke chapter 4. If you read through Luke chapter 4, you'll see there's a time that Jesus goes into the synagogue and he opens up the scroll and he reads from the scroll from Isaiah and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint Uh, anointed to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Oh, just hearing him read these words from the prophet Isaiah. But then he closes the scroll and he says something that had to be scandalous. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine the pearls that were clutched in that moment? (gasps) How dare he say that? That's blasphemy. How dare he say? But he was willing to do that because that's who he was. That's who he is. When Jesus told the story, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I promise you there was more than one person that heard that story and did not get the point of what he was saying because they were offended by what he had to say. You remember the story where the person was beaten and robbed and left alongside the road. First, along comes a priest who stays on his donkey and continues on by. Next was a scribe who stays on his donkey and goes on by. Two of the very religious, two that were well-respected and looked up to. 
two who did not do the heart of God. And Jesus then told the story. He added to the story about the Samaritan, that the Samaritan was the one who got down, who helped the man that was injured, who took care of him. This had to be shocking to hear in that day and time, the way that he told this story. But Jesus was really really trying to make sure that they heard the heart of what God has for us and the way that we should have that interaction with one another, that we should be people of action, that we should be people of mission and service to one another. We see it over and over again in the way that Jesus spoke. We see it in the way that Jesus lived and the scandalous things that Jesus himself did. Read through the Gospels, and I encourage you to take a highlighter and highlight something that you imagine that Jesus said or did that would have created a significant reaction. Think about when Jesus heals the leper the first time. Nobody's supposed to touch a leper. A leper is unclean. And Jesus goes and he touches him. By, immediately, that makes Jesus himself unclean. But in touching this leper, Jesus heals him. His life is transformed. His life is made new. But that's easy for us to read on the pages. But if we were there, that would be disgusting to think of touching the leper. Everyone was conditioned to think not to touch them. But Jesus himself was willing to touch. Yet, let's imagine next time we have Holy Communion, that just before I take the bread and break it, what if I did this? And I took the bread and then broke it. How many of you would come forward to receive communion? Not many of us. Because it's unclean. It's dirty. Jesus was willing to be made dirty, unclean, for the sake of restoration, to restore this leper back into society. Jesus, and the the story tells us one time when Jesus is passing through Samaria, and it's the middle of the day, and as his disciples go into the town to get some food, Jesus goes to a well in the middle of the day. And this woman comes out. And Jesus has this one-on-one interaction with this woman. that I imagine more than one person saw it and said, he probably shouldn't be talking to her. He probably shouldn't be seen with her. Jesus was willing to do that. He was willing to do this scandalous thing just to be able to find this woman to become the first evangelist that we have in the scriptures. Because as she interacts with Jesus, she goes back into town and she tells them that she has found the Messiah. And people come out and they come to know and understand who Jesus is and they come into a relationship with Jesus And it's all because Jesus was willing to take that first risk, that first step. There's so many opportunities, so many times that Jesus does these scandalous things. He takes a risk. But every time it's about restoration. It's about redemption. It's about finding the outcast and bringing them back in. Jesus invited people to come and see. But then Jesus told us to go and do. Go and do likewise. You know, I see that lived out through this church. 
I see that lived out as, as I've said in those different ways that we have been a living church, but I especially see it in the ways that we truly do seek justice, we love kindness, and we walk humbly with God, and we are living that out. It is not just something that we say. It is something that we live and we do. This Thursday morning, as Pastor Corey already announced, we're joining together with Porch of Hillsborough. And guess what? I've looked at the forecast. It's going to be cold Thursday morning. It's going to be very cold. But there's still going to be a team from this church that gathers out in the cold at 830 in the morning at Fairview Park in Hillsborough for the purpose of making sure that these families do not have to go hungry this week. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the way that I see that lived out. I'm thankful for being, those that are willing to take the risk to be a part of something like that, to interact with people that they may not have ever seen or known or have any other follow-up with again. But they're willing to take that risk to make sure somebody knows the love of Jesus Christ through that gift of food. I'm thankful for this church that was willing to take a risk that in the middle of the pandemic, the American Red Cross was reaching such, diff such low numbers of their blood supply. And so they were desperate. Places of business and other places that used to host blood drives were not having them, were not allowing them because of the circumstances within our pandemic. But this church was. This church was willing to open up our doors, taking a risk in the midst of something that nobody has ever experienced, something like this. But we were willing to open our doors so the American Red Cross could open up the doors for our community to come to donate blood. We were willing to take that risk to make a difference in the life's life of another. I give thanks for the Share the Love Bag ministry that began also in the midst of the pandemic. If you're not familiar with the Share the Love Bags, it's a bag, a gallon-sized Ziploc bag that then contains a bottle of water, Vienna sausages, has nabs, it has uh, granola bar, has socks, has hand sanitizer, and these bags are then able to be distributed to people who are facing an immediate need. Every day of the week, I see individuals who might be struggling in their lives right now who come up because we have a box outside of the fellowship hall and they come up and they get a bag just to be able to have the sustenance for the rest of that day. But many of you also have been taking them and putting them in your car. And when you pull up at a stoplight and there might be an individual on the side of the road who's in need. Many of you then have been telling me of the stories of being able to hand it out to someone else. So that they are able to know that day that God was there for them. In fact, just in Sunday school this morning, I heard someone tell the story of recently they had stopped when they saw someone and they extended to them a bag. And the person took the bag and said, I was so hoping I'd get one of these bags today. You're making a difference in the community. And so you know what? She had another bag that she reached over and gave them to. <laughs> it's making a difference. When you're willing to take the risk to encounter the stranger, to encounter somebody that's different than us, to make sure that they know that they are loved, that we are a church that is going to help them find their place in God's story. It's things like this that I see Orange United Methodist Church as essential to our community. Whether it's through backpack buddies, providing food for, for a child to take home over the course of a weekend at the school that we partnered with, or even those who are involved in prison ministry, making sure that even those who are in the midst of incarceration still know a God of love. Friends, these are risk-taking ministries. These are things, the ways that I believe 
we respond to the love of God. And we show others that our heart is fully towards him. All of this, all of this is what I believe we're called to. And Jesus said, if you really follow me, if you follow me with all of your being, if you follow me with all of your heart, in that scripture I read today, he said, you will be hated, that your family, your friends will turn against you. Your brothers, your sisters, those closest to you, all will hate you because of my name, Jesus said. You know what? I want to live a life worthy of being hated. I want to live a life that is so full of Jesus Christ that the world does hate because it stands in such stark contrast to the ideals of the world. I want to live a life worthy of being hated. And that's taking a risk. We are called to risk-taking mission and service. And I believe that is essential for this community that we, the people of Orange, continue to live into that. Thank you for all the ways you do and thank you for all the ways you will. Let us pray. Lord, through the loving, compassionate heart that you have for humanity, you have never forsaken us. Even in the midst of hardship, even in times of peril, you are still God. And through the gift of Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to you. We can be made whole and restored once again. But we are called not to just come and see the love that you have for us, but you send us forth to go and do, that we might be people who show this world the love that you have. And so empower us by your Holy Spirit. Embolden us to be willing to take whatever risk that is set before us so that someone may come to know the hope and the love through you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.